Welcome. Welcome to Talking Through the Numbers, a podcast produced by Wilder Research. Our goal, to provide insight on significant issues, combining sound information with expert knowledge, to enrich our understanding of things that affect our communities and our world. I'm Paul Matesic, Executive Director of Wilder Research. In this episode, our topic is the unsheltered homeless, that is, homeless people who don't live in formal shelters. Two experts have come to the studio for our conversation. David Katzenmeyer is a program supervisor of Project Recovery and Street Outreach at People Incorporated Mental Health Services. He also serves as the coordinator for Outside In Outreach. David has spent the last eight years with People Incorporated's street outreach program in both Hennepin and Ramsey counties. Brian Pittman is a research scientist with Wilder Research. He has been an analyst for the Minnesota Homeless Study since 2006, and he helps coordinate outreach efforts to interview people staying outside of the formal shelter system. So welcome to the studio. Thank you for sharing your expertise on this topic. And maybe to set the stage, Brian, a first question would be about how many people in Minnesota are homeless? Uh, Thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. Um, That's always hard to say because uh, counting people who are experiencing homelessness can be a very hard thing to do. But in our study in 2018, we counted 10,233 people on one night in October. And um, we know that misses a lot, so we actually try to estimate the total number of people who might be experiencing homelessness. And when we do that, we find that it can be upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people who are experiencing homelessness on any given night in Minnesota. That number can be even higher when you look at the total number of people who are experiencing homelessness over the course of, a, of an entire year. That, that number has been upwards of forty or 50,000. So 40 or 50,000. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Um, and neither, none of that even includes people who might be in um, kind of um, on the margins or in precariously um, housed situations or, you know, doubled up or overcrowded. Sure. Um, that number is, is, is even higher than those. Mm. So that 10,000 plus figure you first stated, is, is there a trend in that? Is that more or less than we've seen in previous studies? Um, it's more than we saw. So we do the Minnesota statewide homeless study is conducted every three years in the third uh, Thursday of October. And we've been doing it since 1991 uh, statewide. And we did a couple studies earlier than that in, in St. Paul. Um, but over, um, so since 2015, we actually saw a 10% increase in the, the total number of people experiencing homelessness where we were really concerned this year is that we saw a 62% increase in the number of people we counted outside of the formal shelter system. So this is people who might be sleeping in their car, uh, people who might be, um, you know, in encampments or sleeping on transit or, um, staying under bridges or trying to 
you know, cobble together different uh, types of shelter. You know, they okay. might be staying at a friend's house or a family house. And family's that, house. Sure. And that number increased 62%. What About what is that number? So about how many homeless people are staying outside of formal shelter? So we counted about 2,700 2, during the last um, in twenty in twenty eighteen, so that um, represents uh, almost a quarter of the twenty seven hundred out of the ten thousand yeah. or so on a single night. Yep. Okay, so uh, David, you see people who are homeless and who aren't part of the formal shelter system, and Brian, you do research to understand uh, who those people are. What are the characteristics of a person who's most likely to be in that situation? homeless, but without a formal place to stay. Yeah. Um, you know, for one thing, it's, it's important to note, at least in the, in the Twin Cities Metro, the emergency shelters are often full. So, um, so it, Sometimes it's just a matter of the, it's the same as anybody else. They just happen to be last in line. Yeah. yeah. But some of the more chronically unsheltered homeless people are, people who struggle more with mental health or chemical health um, issues, uh, those those issues are harder to kind of maintain um, maintain your mental or chemical health in a um, in a shelter setting. So, so some of the people with those chronic problems m- might be more likely to stay outside of a shelter, and that's how they differ from the people that we would see in a formal shelter. Yeah, and then there's also issues of the emergency shelter system currently doesn't have great options for people who have pets or people who are couples without minor children. Um, Also, there's not always great storage at emergency shelters, so um, people with a decent amount of belongings. um, So some people in those sorts of demographics um, are more likely to stay outside to, um, to better accommodate those situations. Yeah, and we see similar stuff in the in the data that from our homeless study, and we see um, people who tend to have longer experiences in their current episode of homelessness. So, um, almost two thirds of people who are staying outside of the shelter system had been homeless for at least a year, um, and that's among the highest of all of our of of the different types of shelter that we we do the survey in. Um, so we also see kind of higher numbers of. Uh, middle-aged men, um, we tend to see higher levels of chemical dependency or substance use disorder. Um, and one of the more concerning things, we see a lot, we see higher levels of um, self-reported um, violence while they were, while they were homeless. So we see uh, people saying that they've been attacked while they've been homeless, and that, that number is consistently higher for those um, who are staying outside of the shelter system. So, so that's definitely one concerning thing we see. So you touched on some of the reasons, I think, mentioned them. What, why is it that people stay outside of formal shelters? What, what are the primary reasons? Well, again, like, like I already mentioned, you know, on many nights, especially in the winter, almost every single night, there's literally not a space available for people. Um, so it's a question of numbers. That's one big reason. Y- yep. Yeah. And then also um, some people don't, you know, some people don't want to maybe wait in line or go into a lottery system and not know until maybe five or six o'clock that night if they have a space or not. And they just prefer to have, uh, to kind of hunker down and have the freedom to create their own space, whether it be in a tent or um, in a, on a transit system or 
um, you know, some people may have a vehicle they can stay in. So some people just feel more comfortable and, and have more control over that space if they're creating it their own on their own. And that and, sense of control, in a sense, gives them a, a positive feeling in some ways about that arrangement as opposed to being in a shelter. Yeah, and and um, in addition, they, that way they don't also... And if you're staying in a shelter, you're going to have to leave you know, often fairly early in the morning and ha- and not you're not allowed back until later at night. So people still have to find somewhere to stay during that, you know, between, you know, 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. or so. So, mm. um, yeah, so often people are more comfortable in a, in a setting that they create on their own. And uh, also, you know, people, shelters often house um, or shelter uh dozens if not hundreds of people so uh often people find it to be a more quiet setting um in a tent with people who they maybe know or trust more sure yeah and i also think there hasn't been a lot of increasing shelter capacity over the the last decade or so so i think it it's to what dave was talking about with um you know they may they may go and try to stay in a shelter and that might be full there might not be capacity for them to stay there so they have to go find something else there's also sometimes um if they are you know at a job or something and they work until 10 p.m some of the shelters might be closed so they have to cobble together something i think that points also to we ask on our study uh where people have stayed the last 30 days um the 30 days before the the survey and you see a lot of variation in the in the types of uh, situations that people are staying in. So as we mentioned earlier, about twenty, uh, about a quarter of the people interviewed were staying outside of the shelter system on the night of the survey. On that night itself. Yep, yeah. But if you look at the last thirty days, about forty percent of homeless adults had spent at least one night outside or another in another place not intended for habitation. So okay. it's so um, you it, see a lot of kind of going back and forth yeah. from the shelter to the to the outdoors. So. Uh, People could be in a shelter, they could be outdoors, or they could be living in a place that's not a shelter, staying with someone or in a car. Between the two of you, you mentioned a variety of situations. So I know it's hard to think of a typical person, but if you thought of a homeless person uh, who doesn't have a formal shelter, like on the night of the survey, let's say, or any other night, what might their situation look like over a typical month in a 30-day period? Would they, you know, would most of them only be in one kind of arrangement or would a lot of them be in multiple arrangements mm-hmm. changing from day to day or week to week? How does, how does that play out? Yeah, we can't speak a lot to kind of the differing or the varying situations outside of shelter, but we can tell um, whether they're in shelter, outside, in um, actual stable housing, or doubled up with friends. And what we see in our data is that um, for the the people who are interviewed outside of the um, formal shelter system, so those staying in outside in other situations, um, about half had spent the last... Um, 30 days mostly outside. So that's basically, you know, trying to find, um, you know, um, a a spot on a train or on a bus or um, in a tent or something like that. And then the other half had been moving in between the um, shelters and doubled up with friends and that type of thing. So there, um, it's kind of an interesting breakdown that you get basically a half who 
primarily stay outside and then a half who are trying to find other things. Right. David, do you hear interesting stories about that? Do people recount how it is that they would be spending a week or a month and the different different alternatives that they uh, take advantage of? Yeah, we see we see kind of both sides of the coin. Sometimes we when we're doing outreach, we have clients who maybe are able to maintain the same camping spot for months um, and sometimes a year or longer. Um, But that's 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 very challenging. Um, And so, yeah, we often see people who are um, maybe in and out of the shelter system. because of availability or, um, you know, people sometimes have situations which lead to them get getting restricted from a shelter. So then they have to find somewhere else to stay for a while. Um, you know, people often camp out and then the weather might get really cold or it might be really rainy. And so they will leverage a relationship with a friend or a family member to be able to stay for a few days. And then they might come back and they're, their tent and their belongings that they left behind might be gone. So then they're left mm. to, to try and pick up the pieces and where do I go next? And maybe they spend that night on transit while they um, get some resources to create another space outside. So, so yeah, we really see both, both sides of the coin. We some, see some people with consistent places and some people who um, bounce around and, and it, it can be a, can be a lot of work to be, to experience homelessness. Yeah. yeah. So both of you have mentioned transit, I ride the green line. I've seen people who seem to be establishing themselves for an evening when I'm riding the uh, the green line late at night. What's going on there? There was also there's there was the controversy about the green line not running all night. What's happening there on transit? Yeah, I think um, back in August, Met Council has um, or Met Transit uh, uh, cut back on service on the green line, and I think it's only it's not running between one and four a.m. or um, I'm not sure on those hours exactly, but um, but it used to run all night. So um, if you didn't have a place to stay, it was a pretty convenient, uh, warm place to stay, and um, and it was it was used quite a bit. I, I know some um, estimates from from outreach folks would put the number at between two and three hundred people on any given night. We um, we did some interviewing as part of our study on the um, on, on transit, and definitely I think we found um, at least a hundred people that we interviewed on transit that night and around transit stations. Um, we also asked if if where if they had stayed on transit in the past twelve months, and forty uh, percent of adults had stayed on some sort of transit in the last month. So it's it's a high it was a highly utilized. Um, place to stay. So. And do those who stay on the light rail, do they do they differ from people who are in shelters or people who would set up a campsite or or are they pretty much the same? Um, in our data it tended to be, you know, some um, added levels of distress and and kind of issues and barriers to housing. It was kind of the um, you know, the the people who are staying outside in general, we see higher levels of um, like chemical dependency, mental health issues, those types of things. And then those we had kind of, um, when we did the analysis, um, those we found on transit or, or were kind of heavy transit users, we found even higher levels. So it oh. is it is something that was serving the people who were, were, were kind of having the higher levels of distress, so. Yeah, I know. Um you know, if you consider the the transit system as a encampment, I, I think there's definitely 
a majority of the time over the past few years, that's probably been the largest encampment in the Twin Cities area. Um, I know I spent a lot of time, especially last winter, doing outreach on the um, on transit, especially in front of Union Depot, and it was one of the most overwhelming um, and eye-opening experiences in, as an outreach worker to see the trains pull in early in the morning and see almost literally every seat filled with somebody um, sleeping or um, under blankets or obviously using that mm. train for shelter. Are these mostly men, women, children, mix? It's a it's really a mix um, of uh, there's not a lot of of children who are outside or families with minor children. Um, we do see it a little bit in Ramsey County because the 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 family shelter system is often full or is is full typically in Ramsey County, and there's often a, a fairly lengthy waiting list. Uh, but um, and and there are typically more shelter spaces for men than women. So. Um, um, but yeah, we see a, a mix of both. Mix. Yeah, I would say in the data we see a, a, a little bit higher uh, proportion of men when we start talking about kind of unsheltered and, and then transit and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of different people who, who use it. Sure. Okay. So uh, you've mentioned campsites, tents. I think the general public feels they're seeing more tents and campsites in and around our cities. Do more of these campsites exist now in contrast to five years ago or 10 years ago, or are we just seeing them more? I, I, or is it impossible to know? Well, yeah, we don't, I mean, we have counts of people who are um, staying outside of the shelter system going back to, to 1991, but they can vary based on kind of the, the outreach we did that year, the what the weather was that like that year and other things. Um, but in general, we've seen an increase, but I, I think there is a little bit more visibility to it, I think, especially in the last year or so, um, when we've seen some high-profile things like the, the Green Line um, um, kind of use as, as shelter. And then um, there was the big um, encampment on Hiawatha Avenue um, that that was getting press and news. And I think in general, um, because we see a, a bit more, uh, you know, a higher number of people outside of the shelter system, you tend to see more people on the street and, and things like that. So I think... Um, I think it is more visible. I I wouldn't say that there are more encampments today. I I, I couldn't say either way really. Okay. Um, you mentioned that some people may have a campsite for a long time. Other people may have to leave frequently, move from a campsite. Are there differences? Do they you know some campsites? turn over frequently or can people only stay there for the night and then they have to leave in the day or how does that work? Well, there's typically a, a variety of, you know, there's areas in, in, in the city where, um, that are just kind of common, uh, camping spots and those, those spots may, may have a lot of turnover, um, and, um, uh, you know, higher numbers of people in and out. So, which may increase sort of some of the, uh, you know, oversight of that from uh, uh, from maybe the police or something like that. Um, and then there's more, you know, some of the sites that last longer are typically in more hidden um, areas, and those are the ones that the public is not likely to be seeing on a regular basis. Um, 
because a lot of people are displaced from their campsite based on, um, you know, people are typically either camping on city property, um, parks property, Department of Transportation property, or private property. So, um, you know, each of those entities has different ways of their own rules or, of yeah. dealing with encampments, um, but but none of them would typically allow an encampment to last very long. Okay. Is, um, let's move a little bit towards solutions and thinking again of the unsheltered homeless. If you wanted to change someone's living situation, so you wanted to move a person living outside into a shelter or into some form of stable housing, what type of effort does that take? Well, from a street outreach perspective, you know, a lot of the folks that we engage with and talk to who are in unsheltered situations um, have really gone through this experience of having their hope and trust kind of eroded over time. Um, often people have tried to seek help or tried to navigate systems to access benefits or resources, and they've been unsuccessful in that. So, um, so from a ground level, we're really trying to build those things back up and um, build some trust with people, build some rapport, um, build up some hope that, you know, that that things can maybe change. So that's really the base that we're trying to lay with people by um, by just getting to know people, maybe doing some small tasks with them to um, to build some trust, like maybe helping somebody get, get an ID or um, ha- helping somebody access food support or something like that. Um, and bringing socks and hygiene things and some simple things like that. And that kind of engagement and trust building process can take, um, often can take a long take time. A yeah. um, and then, you know, you go through that and then at some point, hopefully you can get somebody who's um, wanting to do a housing assessment to get on uh, the county's um, priority wait list for housing. Um, and once you're on that, then that's... Uh, that's that's a whole nother issue because then, you know, you've built somebody up and they're they're finally ready to access these services and now now you you know those in in both Hennepin and Ramsey County, the priority waitlist for homeless designated housing um, for single adults. Each of those waitlists has over a thousand single adults on them right so now. Somebody so somebody may or may not get it, and even if they do, it may not be fast. Yeah. Let me ask another question, maybe for each of you about this, uh, thinking about solutions. If you had the resources, if you had the resources, what is the first thing you would do to help prevent and end homelessness? Well, and I was going to hit on this after Dave's excellent um, answer about kind of working individually with people who are unsheltered. Um, I tend to think as as a researcher about the kind of systemic issue. And um, I always, whenever I'm talking about um, homelessness with people or talking to groups, I think prevention is the key and getting a strong social safety net that uh, prevents people from falling. What does that mean, though? How would you do that? Um, making sure that, you know, housing is actually there for people and, I mean, a right that people don't get um, either kicked out of their housing and if they if there's enough, you know, resources to then provide, you know, to make sure that they don't lose their housing in the first place. One of the big things we see in, in our research is that 
um, homelessness begets homelessness. We, the longer someone is homeless, the even just the act of becoming homeless it will make it more likely that you either stay homeless or um, experience homelessness again. So the the more you can minimize it, it's going to cost less in the long run. It's going to be, um, you know, a better option for everyone. Um, so I, yeah, I guess just increasing those social supports sure. that um, you know that can prevent people from falling into the cracks okay. if things David? kind of go south for them. Yeah. Well, yeah. From you know, from kind of a boots on the ground perspective, you know, there's a spectrum of homeless services. Uh, you know, from outreach to emergency shelter to housing and supportive services, um, and and so. I know you're asking for one thing, and it's it's hard to, to say to advocate to to um, increase on one part of the spectrum because we really need more diversity and um, capacity and in, in all those areas of the spectrum. Um, if I if I had to really hammer down on one thing, I'd say you know we really need more um, more affordable housing uh, for people. Um, um, especially, you know, more brick and mortar programs, more um, transitional housing programs for for people. Um, a lot of the housing that's designated for homeless people right now, um, all those programs are often competing for the same landlords, which is a, a very limited stock with uh, kind of rental caps and and other things that um, that uh, that we're having to deal with. So, um, so anything to kind of create that, to increase that housing stock or maybe um, increase the amount of landlords willing to work with these types of programs, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, particularly are- programs that are going to be able to provide support services sure. um, with particularly vulnerable populations that, um, that are dealing with, you know, complex and interrelated issues that, um, that if you just plop them down in a, in apartments, those issues may keep them from being able to stay sure. in that apartment. Yeah. So, so working with them to kind of stabilize and kind of meeting them where they are as well. Um, uh, cause a lot of programs, uh, might require those or even, you know, even subsidized housing might require people to, to be able to kind of, um, address those issues before they get housing. And that's a huge barrier to be able to address those issues is if you're not housed, those issues perpetuate and sure. get worse. Yeah. So. Okay. So we're approaching the end point of the conversation, but just maybe very quickly, if I could ask each of you, uh, consider the typical person, a resident of any community in Minnesota or the United States, if, if they want to do some little thing, they can't devote their whole life to it, but there's maybe something that they, they could do to help end homelessness, what would you recommend to them or where could they go to get information or what, what should they do? Uh, well, first, I would recommend they go to um, www.minhomeless.org. That's our, the website for our study, and that will help them um, figure out kind of what the issue is and learn more about homelessness in general, um, and then provide them with the information to um, go out and talk to, I would say, talk to their elected officials and tell them that this is a priority for them. That's one of the big ways we can get some of these social safety net services provided is making sure that all elected officials know that their constituents think that this is an important thing because homelessness happens everywhere. It's not just in the in the metro area. It's not just in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Ramsey County, Hennepin County. We find that uh, people we interview come from all over the state. So talk to your elected officials about that. And um, and then I would donate money to programs like Dave's and um, sure. Other people who are providing services. Yeah. David? Um, 
people who experience homelessness often go through um, stigmatizing and dehumanizing experiences um, constantly, and it's it's easy to get kind of caught in that cycle and um, 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 start to take kind of take on some of those things. So I think the everyday, you know, the average person, um, as much as they can do to kind of uh, break those things down when they're interacting with people. So um, acknowledging people, you know, um, who may be flying a sign or, um, um, or at an encampment or something, you know, saying hi to people, just treating people like human beings, um, um, I, I think can really go a long way to, um, to, to helping people. Um, well, thank you. That, yeah. that sounds like a very practical kind of thing and something anybody, any of us could do. Well, thanks again to both of you, David Katzenmeyer from People Incorporated and Brian Pittman from Wilder Research. Please visit our website, www.wilderresearch.org, for more information, or the homelessness-specific website, which Brian mentioned, www.minhomeless.org. If you have suggestions for a future podcast, please let us know. I'm Paul Matesic from Wilder Research, and I look forward to talking through the numbers with you on other topics. (laughs) ¶¶